now that I've got myself ready, I'll, I'll take advantage of that lull in the conversation. Um, spoiler alert for those who, who didn't realise last week, yes, Josh, uh, Josh and Hasmeen, congratulations to you guys, we're, we're very excited. Um, yeah, very excited for you guys. So uh, we have the pleasure of looking at Psalm 103 this morning, and uh, I guess my favourite verse from Psalm 103 is, uh, as far as the east is from the west, so far he separates our transgressions from us, and, and it appeals to the geographical nerd in me. And I wrote the sermon and I cut out the geographical nerd part because uh, it wasn't with the flow, and then I said, no, I'm going to subject it to you this morning, I'm just going to have it as a quick addendum before we start. Um, so, so not starting the sermon proper yet. No, we'll use the button thing. No, is that working in? Maybe not. I'm not sure. That's right. Um, so, I actually, I, I don't know if David had, you know, sort of geographical dimensions of the earth in his knowledge. I, I suspect not. Um, and he could have quite easily written, as we look at this verse, he could have quite easily written, separated us as far as the north is from the south, separated our sins from us. But he's written uh, as far as the east is from the west. And that appeals to the geographical nerd in all of us, I'm sure. Um, if I was holding one end of a rubber band and Paul was holding the other end and we, we both had a helicopter, I could say, I'm going to... And the, the rubber band is infinitely elastic. I could say... I'm going to go as far north as I can, and you go as far south as you can. We can see how far we can stretch this thing. Of course, I have to stop when I get to the North Pole. He, when he gets to the South Pole, we've got a rubber band that's 20,000 kilometres long, which is pretty long, and that might suffice to say, well, that's far enough away for God to separate our sins. Um, but the verse says east-west. And so if we went in the east-west direction and we, we got to the opposite sides of the world to each other, uh, the distance is actually slightly greater, merely because the Earth, its circumferential diameter in the east-west axis is greater than the north-south axis. So that, that, at a beginning point, appeals to the geographical nerd in all of us, I'm sure. Um, but when we get to those points, I haven't reached the east pole, and Paul hasn't reached the west pole. I can keep heading east, and he can keep heading north, and we can go around the world till we meet on the other side, but then we can just keep going on and on and on. You can keep travelling east for infinity. And so, assuming that, that Paul has circumnavigated the earth infinitely times in the west direction and I infinitely times in the east direction, we actually have a rubber band that is 40,000 kilometres by two by infinity long, which of course is actually just the same as infinity because you can't get more than infinity. Uh, but that is, a, that is a phenomenal distance, and, and that is what the verse says, God has separated our sins from us. Um, I suspect that David, when he penned those words, was actually ignorant of the difference between north and south and east and west, uh, but God wasn't ignorant, and, and we can rejoice that uh, the all-knowing God is the author behind the scriptures. Of course, if, if Paul looks at his rubber band and says, I'm going to do it, I'm going to let go of my end and it's going to recoil like a rocket and by the time it gets to Lon, it's going to be the world's biggest ever rubber band sting. Uh, the joke is actually on him because even if it travels at the speed of light, you can't actually transverse, traverse sorry, a distance that's infinity. It will never reach me. And that's how far God has separated 
our sins from us. Uh, that was the, the nerdy reflection I had. I wasn't going to share it, but then uh, the better part of me was overcome by the worst part of me. Um, we're going to start the sermon now. Psalm 103 is a psalm that, that resonates with beautiful, joyous overtones. It bursts forth as it considers the blessings of God. Charles Spurgeon uh, reportedly once said to his students, when you speak of heaven, let your face light up. Let your face be irradiated with heavenly gleam. Let your eyes reflect the glories from above. But when you speak of hell, and he looked at his students, your ordinary expression will do. Uh, It's a bit of a tragedy that sometimes we, the the children of the living God, fail to grasp the attitude and the practice of praise that should be ours, that should be ours as sons and daughters of the King, uh, as those who are going to inherit the Kingdom of God, the Kingdom of Heaven. We forget that we've been selected for the heavenly choir that is going to sing God's praises joyfully into eternity. And so it's a blessing that we actually have psalms like this one, Psalm 103, psalms that can help to school us even now in the practice that is going to be our joyous occupation forevermore. Let's open in prayer. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Mighty God, worthy of all praise, we pray refine our hearts today that all that is within us might bless your holy name. Remind us of your works. Remind us of your love. Let us live within the ecstasy of holy fear and the intimacy of gracious adoption. Guard my words, I pray. Amen. Church, this morning, I I feel compelled to encourage us to embrace the joyful praise of our Creator. Um, But before we begin, I'm mindful of the proverb, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. For those of us who are going through deep grief, it can be hard to interact with joy. And I want to acknowledge that before we start this morning. Um, Last year we decided that we would try and periodically, a Sunday here, a Sunday there, preach through the Psalms. The Psalms are an integral part of our Christian experience and we wanted us to, as a congregation, be able to better understand them and then to be able to better utilise them uh, in our Christian walk. Today's Psalm is a Psalm of praise. It's, It's upbeat, it's joyful. Uh, But I also want to be mindful that it's possible that someone might be here this morning bringing with them deep grief. If that's the case, if that's your situation this morning, it's possible that you might struggle to resonate with this psalm, and I want to be aware of that. It's possible that you might resonate better uh, with the words of Heman from Psalm 88 that we looked at last year. Lord, your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with all your waves. And the Psalms have a place for that as well. And uh, if that's you this morning, I want to tell you, first of all, that God knows where you are. He knows what you are feeling, and he will meet you there. I want to encourage you 
to let us, as your Christian brothers and sisters, let us know what you're going through so that we can actually exercise our responsibility that we have to you to journey with you through that and to encourage you. You might want to go home and, and consider reading Psalm 88 and, and maybe listening to the sermon that was preached last year on it. Uh, you can get it from the Eastgate website. Just uh, search via, via Book of the Bible and it should come up. But I want to also encourage you this morning to pay attention to this psalm because this psalm has something for you. This psalm was written for you as well. And we see that from how it begins. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The psalm does not begin, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. The psalm begins with an exhortation, an exhortation that is independent of where you're currently at and what you're presently feeling. It's an exhortation that you speak to yourself and encourage yourself, regardless of circumstance, to come before the Lord and bless the Lord. And the first half of this sermon this morning is going to be unpacking how we bring that about, how we apply that, how we learn to bless the Lord, even if at times it, it doesn't come spontaneously. And so the psalm starts, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now you're sitting in the pew this morning because I hope that you want your life to be a life that blesses the Lord. And you're saying, yes, I want my life to resound with the praise of God. Why is it not? Before we go on to consider the rest of the psalm, I think there are two things that we must consider from this very first verse. One of them is implicit and one of them is explicit. Firstly, implicitly, the psalmist has come before God. It's not rocket science, but if your life, your, your life won't overflow with the praise of God unless you actually make the practice of coming before God. And I know that I can be guilty of this. I can say, I want my life to bless the Lord, but not today because I'm too busy. Maybe tomorrow. It's simple. I'm not going to labor the point. I'll leave it there. Uh, but I want us to be mindful of it because I think it's where a lot of us get off to a really bad start. We need to position ourselves to praise God, to come before him regularly to bring our offering of praise. And the second thing we observe, as, as mentioned earlier, the explicit one, is that David exhorts his own soul to praise God. So you've had a bad day. You're not feeling positive. You're not feeling bubbly. Do you call a spiritual sickie? You say, look, I'm really not up to it today. I'm not up to choir. I'm not up to singing God's praises. Hope to join in tomorrow. No, it's at these times where we learn how to exhort our own soul to sing God's praise. Really importantly, this is not a fake-it-till-you-make-it approach. But this is a conscious recognition that our feelings have fallen short of the true reality our feelings have fallen short of the reality of all that we have in Christ and we need to adjust our feelings accordingly, according to that reality, that truth of Scripture. Praise, Christian praise at least, is responsive. It's responsive to who God is and what he has done. From the Song of Moses in Exodus all the way through, to the choruses of revelation we see through the scripture, we see people bringing their praise to God 
It's not self-driven emotion. It's not a mystical experience. It is praise in response to what God has actually done and who he is. Understanding this, we can call ourselves to praise God because God has already acted and we just need to remember it. And so the psalmist continues. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Spiritual forgetfulness. Uh, The Catholics have a list of the seven deadly sins. And if they wanted to add an eighth, look, I'd say there'd be a case to put spiritual forgetfulness in. We We need to make sure we don't underestimate the danger of spiritual forgetfulness. Spiritual forgetfulness will... It takes away our joy. It takes away our worship. It leaves us with bitterness. I want us to consider the Exodus as the people of Israel are coming out of Egypt. We're going to read from Numbers 11, verses 4 to 6. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Our spiritual forefathers had just witnessed a national redemption that is unparalleled in all of history. They were there in Egypt and they saw the plagues. They followed the cloud and the pillar of fire through the desert. It was their feet that walked through the Red Sea with a wall of water on the right and on the left. They tasted the manna that was from heaven. They stood trembling before the glory at Mount Sinai. And now this, they turn around to God and they say, God, where are the cucumber sandwiches? How has this come about? Where? Where do they get this attitude from, we ask ourselves? We struggle to comprehend it. But then we read in Psalm 106. Sorry. They did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. But they rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. And elsewhere in Psalm 106, they soon forgot his works, and they did not wait for his counsel, but they had wanton craving in the wilderness. Later in the psalm, it's actually going to associate uh, this forgetfulness even with the horrible idolatry of the golden calf incident. And so we ask ourselves, are we forgetful of the blessings that God has poured into our lives? Is that why our lives don't spring forth more spontaneously with praise? Why they're more prone to bitterness? I think the psalm offers us three considerations this morning as to how we might better remember the blessings of God. Number one, we remember how God has acted in history. One thing that you'll quickly notice as you read through the psalms is the frequency with which the writers reflect back on the history of Israel, particularly the Exodus. 
Often, as is the case in Psalm 103, they are reflecting back on something that happened hundreds of years earlier. David here, as he implores his own soul to bless the Lord, he remembers God's faithfulness to Moses in Israel at the time of the Exodus. This history, even though it is hundreds of years separated from David, this history is part of David's history. This is the history of God dealing with his people. The history of Israel is a catalogue of the redeeming love of God, and the history of the church is a continuation of that story. And all of this history is your history because this history belongs to God and you belong to God. The benefits of God are historic. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Secondly, we remember how God has acted personally. You might not have walked through the Red Sea. You might not have had the privilege of trembling before Mount Sinai as God revealed his glory and gave the law. You might not be able to point to some specific instance in your life where you saw divine, miraculous intervention to rescue you from your circumstances. And you shouldn't be concerned about that. David, the author of this psalm, David had plenty of those instances, and it's good to remember those things, and he does in other psalms. But here in Psalm 103, he doesn't bring to mind a specific miraculous act, but he dwells rather on the very personal affection that God extends towards him, and he considers the character of God. As we consider the way that God has acted in history for his people, we are encouraged. But the child of God, to come before God in worship, he must be able to say with equal confidence, yes, I know that God loves his children, and yes, I know that God loves this child right here. I know that God loves me personally. And as we discover the character of God as it's spelt out in the Bible, it's going to add fresh vigor to our praise. Reading from the psalm. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Aren't our hearts encouraged as we consider, as we reflect on the unmeasurable love of God towards us? I'm not sure where the last time it was that you went outside and you looked up at the night sky and you saw the stars and you pondered the, the unfathomable distances of the universe. When you go out next time, when you go out and you stand there and you feel so small looking up at the night sky, consider in that moment that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Do we believe that? Do you believe that? That is a truth that will be bringing us to our knees in praise. Though we're so small, though we're a mere speck in the universe, nevertheless his love finds us. And it mounts up upon us. And it mounts up so high that the universe is scarce able to contain it. And against the transcendence of his greatness, we experience the intimacy of his affection. As a father has compassion on his children, we read, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him.
in the words of an old hymn. Father-like, he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hand, he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. Alleluia, alleluia. Widely yet his mercy flows. The benefits of God are historic. The benefits of God are personal. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Thirdly, remember how God has acted in eternity. David writes, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. After the fall, after Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden, death has been the near universal reality for every human being. I have to say near universal because I think we're looking at Enoch next week. But death has been the near universal reality. No matter how far we get in life, no matter how high we go, the end result is the same. We are all going to get sick. We're all going to get old, lucky ones. And in the end, we're all going to die. And our bodies will be consigned to the pit where they'll move no more. But we take hope. We rejoice because we read here in this psalm, when David recalls the blessings of God, he speaks in terms that directly counter the dreadful effects of the fall. The effects of the fall flowed from our iniquity. And David remembers a God who, and we read here in this psalm, I read it, forgives all your iniquity. And as for the disastrous effects of our sins, as for the the chain event that kicked off, we read, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, And a little later on, your youth is renewed like the eagles. David's soul blesses a God who has dealt with the root of all our troubles and the the troubles that resulted from such. And accordingly, this psalm then whispers to us, whispers to us of a hope that we have in God that endures beyond the grave. Uh, I want to read verses 15 and 16 again and include verse 17 this time. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Immediately after acknowledging the transience of our earthly existence, we hear a faint echo in this verse, a faint echo of eternity. Jesus taught that the resurrection uh, from the dead was a reality. He taught it to the Sadducees using the Old Testament where Moses says of of God uh, that he is the Lord of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the the God of Jacob. And, and Jesus says, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And so we know our, our resurrection must be, exist. Of course, Jesus knows it because he's omniscient, but the Sadducees couldn't counter his point because God is the God not of the dead, but of the living. And here we read that the everlasting love of God rests upon those who fear him. And so we have to conclude that God has, as it says earlier in the psalm, he has redeemed our life from the pit. It's not a one-off rescue. It is an eternal rescue. 
So as we read through this psalm, we encounter, first of all, that the blessings of God are historic. Secondly, the blessings of God are personal. And third, the blessings of God are eternal. And we can't help but say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Before proceeding to the second half of the sermon, I think it's worth noting the presence of fear in this psalm. You would have noticed that. There's a threefold repetition, those who fear the Lord. Three times David is, is looking for language to describe the recipients of those who receive God's affection, and he describes them as those who fear God. Uh, there are plenty of other descriptors that David could have used. There are plenty of other descriptors that come through the Bible. He could have talked about the elect or God's chosen ones or the holy or or the righteous. But he chooses this descriptor here. At first glance, it's, it's curious to us because we say, well, this is, a, this is a psalm of joy and praise. What does fear have to do with praise? It seems out of place. But on further reflection, we realise that to fear the Lord is actually integral to our praise. You don't appreciate that which you do not respect And in the same way, you are never going to worship that which you don't hold in reverent fear. The fear that we have here is not the fear that some have of of becoming known. I'm not sure if you've ever had that experience, uh, worried that you're going to get too close to someone, worried that when this person knows you fully, they'll no longer want to know you at all, right? No, we read in the psalm that God already knows us fully. That ship has sailed. And it's not the fear of judgment because he knows us fully, because he knows every deficiency that we bring, because we read also that, as we said, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. We are fully known. We are fully forgiven. And the fear that we have in this psalm is the trembling of those who warrant judgment and who stand before the judge of all the universe, the holy judge, and receive grace from his hand and receive forgiveness and mercy and adoption, inheritance. And when we appreciate this, then we stand trembling with tears of joy in our eyes and we say, Lord, I am unworthy. I fear your holy name. Indeed, our fear springs in part because of the mercy of God. And so it says in Psalm 130, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. In saying that now, we're going to turn our attention towards the latter part of the psalm. I'm going to read it. You can follow along. Uh, I think this is from verse 19 onwards. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The first part of this psalm is an exhortation to self to bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. But as David reflects on the multi-dimensional blessings of God and the immeasurable greatness of God, 
Well, something, dare I say, infectious happens. David considers that the goodness of God has not only been displayed to himself, but rather God's virtue is a universal phenomenon. Reading verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, his kingdom rules over all. Realizing this, David becomes contagious. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. It's as if David is shouting some encouragement to the other members of the heavenly choir, telling them to continue in what is inevitably their uninterrupted eternal song of praise. And the exhortation, uh, which started out as a personal exhortation to self to praise the Lord, becomes a communal exhortation. One should encourage the other, and the other should encourage the first, and together we are going to encourage each other to raise our voices to sing to the Lord. We at Eastgate should be encouraging one another to sing the worship of our great God. We should be saying, Carl, bless the Lord. Sam, bless the Lord. And in response, you say, Alon, bless the Lord. And we encourage one another to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his well. The praise of God is to be communal as well as individual. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then as we come to the final verse, David takes it one step further. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. We've just seen in verse 19 that his dominion is global. And we say, oh, David, you are intoxicated with joy. You need to be a realistic, man. The Philistines are never going to bless the Lord. The Amalekites are never going to praise him. Get a grip, man. And then we ask ourselves, do we believe that God has set his throne on high? Do we believe that his kingdom rules over all? And when we do, we join David in crying out, bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. It is after that we are confronted with an appreciation of both the goodness of God and of his global dominion um, that we are thrust naturally to proclaim that goodness to others, to proclaim the mercies of the Lord in the hope that others too will bend their knee and offer their praise to the one who is worthy of all praise. It has been said that mission exists because worship doesn't. David isn't irrationally intoxicated with his own joy at this point. David is very rationally intoxicated with the glory of God. The praise of God should be communal. That's number one. And the praise of God should be global. And that's number two. And we say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Church, thank you for coming together this morning. Thank you for encouraging one another to bless the Lord. As I think I mentioned last week, uh, it was one of the things that first stood out to me when we, we first started coming here, is that we as a church are encouraging one another to sing the praises of the Lord, and not just on Sunday. We want our whole beings to erupt in the worship of God. I want to thank you guys for the encouragement that I have received to bless the Lord. And I, I hope and I pray that for each one of you, you will be encouraged by others around you to bless the Lord.
let us never forget his benefits. It's worthwhile considering that we do not worship a distant concept. We worship the real God. We worship the real God who's been active in real history, who gives us his real affection, and who's won for us real eternal blessing. Our worship then becomes not some sort of nefarious uh, mystical exercise. It's not some sort of self-driven emotion. It is responsive. It is responsive to the gracious self-revelation of the Almighty God. May all that is within me bless his holy name. Again, the words of the old hymn, Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, evermore his praises sing. Alleluia, alleluia. Praise the everlasting King. Friends, encourage yourself to praise the Lord. Encourage each other to praise the Lord. Encourage the world to praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Father, it is such a blessing to be your child, to stand in the heritage of your loving acts towards your people, to receive the compassion of a father who knows us completely and forgives us entirely, and to look forward with hope at blessings eternal. Teach us to be a people that bless and remind us again of all that we have to be thankful for. Lord, you are worthy of praise. We pray that your name might be glorified here and to the ends of the earth. Amen. We're going to come now to a time of communion. And as we consider how the Psalms reflect back on the Exodus, uh, we consider that the Exodus was a foreshadow of the greatest deliverance that God has wrought about in all of time. And that is the work that Jesus did, did through his death and resurrection on the cross. Uh, we remember that it's by the blood of our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, that our sins were passed over. And that Jesus enables our exodus from the land of sin, slavery uh, to sin, to the land of freedom as we journey to the promised land.